in Luke chapter 22. We're going to come in here. Jesus is with his disciples. Um, if you pair it with other gospel accounts, they're at that Last Supper. And this is a great time of fellowship together. Disciples don't really know what's coming. Jesus does. And in verse 31 of Luke 22, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Verse 32, he said, but I've prayed for you. Man, that's good news. Jesus is telling Peter, I've prayed for you, man, that your faith should not fail. Or you could say it like this, that you'd be established in your faith. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But Peter said to him, verse 33, said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you. The implication here is, man, it's you and me. We, we in this together. I'm right by your side. I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And this is some big talk. And, and I have no reason to believe that he didn't mean it. He's passionate about this man and the effect that this man has had on his life and how his eyes have come open and he's changed everything about him and the miracles that he's seen and the, the love that he's experienced. And, and he's telling Jesus, I, I, I'm your man. Where you go, I go. I'm going with you. You go to prison, I go to prison. I will be your cellmate. You die and I'm dying. This is some big talk. But Jesus already told him, he said, look, Satan's asked for you and he's trying to sift you, trying to separate out of you. That's what sifting does, trying to get your faith out of you. But I've prayed for you that your faith will stand, that you'll be established in it. And when you return to me, this is prophetic. In other words, you are leaving me. But when you come back, you'll be strengthening other people. But Peter, you know, I'm not leaving you. I'm with you, me and you, Jesus. I'll die with you. I'll go to prison with you if I have to. But Jesus said to him in verse 34, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times or deny three times that you know me. What does deny mean? Disown. Peter, you're going to disown me. You're going to deny that you even knew me. This big talk, you've claimed me, claimed me as your Lord. I mean, Peter's the one that said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. I'm claiming you. And Jesus is saying to him, in just a few hours, you're going to disown me. And of course, he had a hard time understanding this. But from that moment forward, things began to unfold in a way that made no sense to him. Because it was in the garden that the soldiers came and they began to take Jesus. And here's where you see Peter's devotion to him. Peter's packing heat. He draws his blade, strikes that guy on the ear, cuts his ear off. And instead of Jesus saying, go, Peter, what does he say? Stop. Let it happen. This is so confusing to Peter. I'll tell you what really made it worse is when Jesus healed the guy who just got his ear cut off. What are you doing healing people that are here to arrest you? And I want you to see what happens. The moment Peter is confused and understand, doesn't understand what's going on, 
It says in verse 54 of chapter 22, having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house, but Peter followed at a distance. What happened to, I'm with you? What happened to, I go where you go? You go to prison, I go to prison. You die, I die. This all just became very real. It says, when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them, and a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him. She keeps looking over at him. This girl keeps looking over at Peter. You ever had anybody think they recognize you, but they're not sure? They just sort of keep looking over at you, staring at you. It's like, I know you, don't I? And she looks at him and she's like, I know you. Hold on. You're one of them. You were with him. And what did Peter say? What did he say? When she said this man was also with him, he, verse 57, denied, disowned. Quit confessing. Quit claiming Jesus. Denied him saying, woman, I don't know him. Can you hear it in his voice? Woman, what are you looking at? Quit staring at me. Quit looking over here. No, 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 I know you. You're, you're, you're with him. No, I don't know him. And you know what happened. Verse 58, after a little while, another saw him and said, you're also of them. You're one of them. You're one of them. Trying to associate Peter with them. You're one of them. Peter said, man, first it was woman, now it's man. I'm not. Leave me alone. I'm not one of them. I don't know them. I don't know him. I'm not with them. Isn't this interesting? I don't think I'd really seen this still standing here right now. Not only did he deny Jesus, but they accused him of being one of them. He not only disowned Jesus, but all the rest of them that Jesus had connected him with. He quit claiming Jesus, but he also quit claiming John. He quit claiming Andrew. Right on down the line through all the disciples in a moment. I don't know them. I'm not with them. It says in verse 59, then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed saying, surely this fellow also was with him for he's a Galilean. And Peter said, man, I don't know what you're saying. Other gospel accounts reveal that Peter starts cussing starts swearing up and down. I don't know him. I'm not with them. I don't know what you're talking about. And three times he disowned Jesus. And as soon as he disowned him that third time, the prophecy from like a few hours ago came to pass. The rooster crowed. Peter remembered the words of Jesus and it broke his heart. If you confess me before men, what's going to happen? I'll confess you before the Father. I'll confess you. I'll claim you before God and all the angels. If 
you confess me. We're blessed to live in a country where perhaps persecution against the gospel isn't what it is in other places around the world. But don't, don't be fooled. There is a firing squad here in the United States. It's called Twitter. It's called Facebook. It's called social media. College campuses around this country have become some of the most hostile environments to a born-again believer. It has become very unfashionable to associate and claim Jesus as your Lord. Have you noticed what happens? It's this tactic, and I don't know if it's been in the world for centuries or if this is something that's relatively new, but it's this tactic to immediately, when you identify with something, to associate you and all we got to do is slap a bunch of labels on you that sound bad to try to pressure you and talk you into disassociating with whatever it is you, you claimed. Am I, I'm just kind of a word salad. Sorry about that. But you understand what I'm saying, right? You notice this? Are you, a, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a believer. You fascist. You racist. You homophobic, transphobic. Wait a second. I claim Jesus and now I'm afraid of gay people? I'm afraid of a, of a transgender person? That's what the words mean. Homophobic, transphobic. Oh, you're just afraid. You claim Jesus. I claim Jesus. You Nazi. Come on. Is anybody else watching the news? This is what's happening. What's this about? It's pressure. It's pressure to try to get you to disown. And it's happening. It's happening to young people. When they go off to university, they're met with pressure. And these college campuses have become these hostile environments. Hostile to the gospel. Hostile to Christianity. You're born again believer. That doesn't mean there's hate in your heart. For a gay person, a trans person, doesn't mean there's hate in you. Don't let somebody label you with something that is not true. It's not true. All of it is an effort to get you to stop confessing. Stop claiming Jesus. And it ain't just colleges. From the locker room to the boardroom. These are all environments where it has become very unfashionable to be a believer, to be a Christian, to hold to Judeo-Christian values, to walk according to the word of God. And every ounce of it is pressure, pressure, pressure to get you off this path that leads to life, on this path that leads to death, to get you to stop confessing, stop claiming Christ. What will you do? Because if you will confess him before men, he will confess you before God. And listen to me, church. Listen to me, family. On that day, you will not care who claimed you on this earth. You will not care who you were accepted by on this earth. You will not give one ounce of effort or energy or care whatsoever to somebody on your college campus who didn't, who didn't like you when you claimed Christ, but who all of a sudden accepted. You will not care about any of that. You will care about one thing. Does Jesus claim me? And if you claim him on this earth, let me tell you something. You will be oh so happy that you did. You will be so happy 
that you confessed him and claimed him and held, held fast. You clung to your confession. You held on to it with a grip that Satan could not get that confession out of your hand. He could not get that confession out of your mouth. Huh? You claimed him. What about if it makes the difference between whether you get the job or not? Huh? What about when the person interviewing wants to know your religious convictions and all of a sudden you're faced with the decision, do I claim him, do I not? Oh, it's such a good paying job, man. This is, this is just the job and the place and the position I've wanted. What do you do in that moment when, when it means whether you get the job or you don't? You're like, well, it's illegal according to the bylaws of the... You cannot ask about religious... I don't care, it's happening. What about if it means whether or not you get the house? Huh? You found a great house here in town. Oh, it's just what I wanted. And the seller's all ready to, to give you the price you offered until they find out what church you go to. It's happening. Well, I don't want nothing to do with that. People are already talking. Somebody told me they, there was a neighborhood forum that they were on in their neighborhood. And there's some people on there talking bad about a ministry in town. And some guy gets on there and says, now listen, that's a good ministry. We don't need to say bad things about them. But that legacy church. And this guy starts ripping in on legacy church. What do you do then? Hey, you're one of them. Well, I mean, we've been a time or two. But uh, I was, I'm one of them? I, don't, I wouldn't say Claim or disown? You claim Jesus or disown him? Claim the people he's put you with or disown them? Hmm? I'm one of them. I'm one of them, and I don't care what it costs me. He's my Lord, and I don't care. I don't care what it costs me. I'm telling you this not because only of the current climate we live in, but because of what's coming. Make no mistake about it. Do not be naive. There is coming a day where claiming Jesus is going to cost you money. It's going to cost you a deal. It's going to cost you a house. It's going to cost you a place, a position, a possession. And you're going to be forced with a decision to make. Is he mine or do I disown him? And I'll say it again. When you see him face to face, you will be so glad you claimed him. And it will not matter to you at all who on this earth claimed you or didn't claim you. Amen. Amen. What did Jesus tell Peter? I prayed for you, bro. I prayed for you. Now he told him, this is what's happening. This is what's coming. But I've prayed for you. Do you want to see what I believe is the answer to Jesus' prayer? Watch this. Acts chapter 4. And we'll wrap it up with this. Go there with me. Acts chapter 4. Of course, you know what happened on Acts chapter 2. Peter and all the disciples, 120 of them, in that upper room. And there came a sound from heaven. As of a rushing mighty wind, it filled that house. They all began to speak with other tongues. They went stumbling drunk out of that upper room and it caused such a ruckus and, and drew such a crowd that people began to hear. People in, who spoke other languages heard their own language being spoken. And that day Peter preached and 3,000 were born again. 3,000 were added to the church. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are walking into the temple and there's a lame man laid there at the gate. And Peter looks at him and says, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you 
you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise and walk. And he grabs that man by the hand, yanks him up. Strength hit that guy. His feet and ankle bones received strength. He went walking, leaping, and praising God. And again, it draws such a crowd. People gather around and Peter starts preaching. And then you get to chapter 4. It says in verse 5, it came to pass on the next day that the rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest and Caiaphas, John and Alexander, as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had seen them in the midst, they asked, by what power, by what name have you done this? Here's an opportunity to either claim or disown. And what does Peter say? I disowned him once before. I ain't doing it again. By what name, by what power have you done this? Verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to all y'all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, just so we're not mistaken and we're not thinking of a different Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I'm talking about the one you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He could have just said Jesus. Where'd you, whose name you doing this in? What power? He goes, well, it's, uh, Jesus. But what did he say? All that. What's he doing? Claiming him. Confessing him. Now look what happened. Verse 13, when they saw the boldness of Peter. You know what boldness means? Look it up. Unreservedness of speech. Do your words have any bearing on the direction your life is going in. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized they had been with Jesus. Does anybody realize that about you? Do they realize that about me? These guys are uneducated. They're untrained. What does that mean? Their boldness is not coming out of something natural. Their boldness is not coming because they got a de degree hanging on the wall from the college these guys went to. That's not where their boldness is sourced. Their boldness comes from the fact they've been with Jesus. Now it goes on to say, seeing the men in verse 14, seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. And we can't deny it. Verse 17. But so that it spreads no further among the people, here's our plan. Let us severely threaten them. That from now on, they do what? Speak to no man. Let's threaten them so that they stop talking. Let's threaten them to shut down this confession. Can you see that? 
Let's threaten them. Now, it's not clear here on what they threaten them with, but these are the same people that just nailed Jesus to a cross. They will put a hit out on you and not even blink twice. They could threaten them financially. They could threaten them physically. They could threaten them with their, their life and whole existence. And they threaten them and they say, if you don't want us to do all this to you, just stop talking. Stop confessing. Let us threaten them, severely threaten them, that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. Stop claiming Jesus. And they threatened them. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God you judge. Verse 20, you ready for this? Come on, you have to stand up for this. Come on, church, get up right now. Come on, listen to this. Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than we listen to him, you judge. Verse 20, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. I disowned him once. I ain't doing it again. I, I stopped claiming him once. I denied him then. It broke my heart, but I'm not doing it again. Now and forever, threaten me all you want. Threaten me with my life. Threaten me. Take away my money. Take away my job. Take away my house. You can have it all. I can't help but talk. I cannot help but speak the things that I've seen, the things that I've heard. You can't make me stop claiming him. Sorry, <laughs> it's just not going to happen. The things that we've seen, the things that we've heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. Verse 23, and being let go, they went to their own companions. That's where you're at right now. To your own company. They reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. They told them all the threats. They said, look, they're going to beat us if we keep preaching Jesus. They're going to take away our houses. They're going to take away our land. They're going to take away our money. They're going to freeze our accounts. They are going to, they've threatened us with our lives if we keep preaching in this name, if we keep healing in this name. And so, you know, in light of that, verse 24, when they heard it, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God. Why don't you say it right now? Lord, you are God. You are the one who made heaven and earth. You are the one who made the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David has said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly, verse 27, against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Verse 29, now Lord... Look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak. Look at what they threatened. Now, if they threatened you, what would your prayer be? Lord, look on their threats and kill them. I mean it, Lord, just kill them. 
send laborers across their paths to break their knees. Send, send, I'm calling fire down on Washington, D.C. You've heard their threats against your church. I'm asking you, Lord, just take them out. Just kill them, kill them, kill them all. That's not what they prayed for. Lord, you heard their threats. Give us boldness. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Legacy TV podcast. We hope you enjoyed this. And if you'd like to hear more of Jeremy and Sarah, subscribe to this podcast and download the Legacy Studios app. From there, you'll have access to the Legacy Television broadcast, the Legacy Letter magazine, and so much more. You can also visit pearsonsministries.com to contact us directly and find out how you can get involved with everything that's happening here at Legacy Studios. Be blessed today. We love you. Remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.